Back in the mid-1980s when I started in real estate, selling a condo in Toronto was rare. That's because there weren't an awful lot of them and most people just couldn't get their head around paying tens of thousands of dollars to own an apartment. Now we see condos everywhere and they're selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars and in some cases multi-millions of dollars. People even line up for hours, even days, to buy pre-construction units before a shovel ever breaks the ground. In Toronto we have about 80,000 new units under construction and thousands more resale units on the market. People always say that when the bubble, if there is one, breaks, the condo market will be the first to suffer. We saw a dip last year during COVID, but the condo market has bounced back. I'm Desmond Brown, and in this episode of Sold in the Six, we're going to take a look at some cities where we thought we'd never see a condo boom. Remax, where I work, just released its 2021 condo report, and I find it fascinating. Today, I'm going to speak to my company's chief operating officer and regular guest on Sold in the Six, Steve Tabrizi, about the report. Steve, welcome back to Sold in the Six. Thank you, Desmond, for inviting me again. It's always a pleasure to be on your podcast. Oh, I love having you on, Steve. Well, Steve, this, this condo report, I found it really, really interesting. Why do you think that we have this increase or trend towards condos, not just in Toronto, but right across the country? Well, uh, the foundation goes back to lack of uh, inventory. We saw for the last 17, 18 months during the COVID, there was a big shift going towards the low density housing, which is basically primarily what we call in our industry freehold, could be semi-townhouse or detached. But now with the low inventory, that's one factor. Obviously, there is a huge attraction for condominium. Secondly, I think the reality of the work at home may coming to end, or I think a lot of companies in the last three months, which the vaccination rate has caused, the employers calling people go back to work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who also move to the, what I would call it, actual real suburb, not an urban center, which we can talk about later on, that basically they are realizing the commute is not one thing that they were really expecting or visualizing. So these are the factor for the end user. You add the factor of the investors with the confidence of the market, economy, low interest rate. So reopening of the uh, universities uh, in classes, students are coming back from overseas, particularly foreign students. The rental market is going through the roof. It is. So the investor confidence is up and user confidence is up. And then you will see one only alternative right now. And that alternative is basically affordable alternative, which is the condominium market. Yeah, so the condo market, especially in Toronto, that's the entry-level market right now, uh, mostly under $1 million. Um, they're all, also in this report, it said that the single detached family home is now out of reach. Obviously, it goes hand-in-hand with our lack of supply as well on the, on the lower end, correct? Correct, correct. So we reached... If you have to talk about specifically Toronto market, so 
the detached homes is sitting at about a million two to million three, mm-hmm. which is all obviously is not not every person can qualify for that. Yes, there are quite a good percentage of the market of buyers that they can qualify for it. But the reality is if you have to purchase a 1.2, $1.3 million, and if you do even the math on a 20% down payment, you got to have an average family income of the easy about $250,000. So qualification is not that easy. It isn't. And maybe mom and dad will help. And we're going to get into that a little bit later too, because there was an also, there was also a very fascinating study just released uh, I think it was yesterday from CIBC about how much money parents are actually gifting to their children. But we'll get into that a little bit later. So when we take a look at the condo markets, you know, the typical uh, markets that we think about are Vancouver and Toronto. Vancouver has always been crazy. Um, Last year, they were up 87% in sales, and that's in sales volume. And the average price jumped from 693000 for a condo to 740000 So, you know, we kind of expect that in Vancouver anyway, right? I mean, they, 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 they pretty well led the way with the condo market in this country because of, you know, their lack of land for building, correct? Correct, correct. So Vancouver suffered for a few years prior even to the COVID. So Vancouver is basically because of the uh, implication of the federal government policies towards the particularly heavily foreign investors and uh, people who basically bought it for only one purpose, buy the property condominium and then flipped it prior to the closing, which we call in our industry assignment of the contract. So it was heavily hit by the policies of the um, federal government. And then during the COVID slowly rebounded and now rebounded by almost about 7% in terms of the price change from year to year, 2020 to 2021. Mm-hmm. And similar yeah. story, lack of inventory and the confidence in the market is up. Uh, and once you have the confidence in the market and the interest rate, a lot of people don't pay attention to the fact of the calculation of the interest rate. So pre-COVID, we were historically, historically the banks, in the last 15 years, they would like to sit the mortgage rate at around three and a quarter, which is really decent. Very people like you really and me decent, that yeah. yeah, people you and me that we come from a older school of the real estate. This is a really a phenomenal rate. But yeah, now you like 13 percent when I started exactly 13, 16 percent, and now we are sitting at a rate of the, about a one and a half, almost two percent below what the average market should be. So. When we see the 7% price goes up in Vancouver or 8% in Toronto, when you see that differentiation of the appreciation of the price, at the moment, actually, it costs the consumer on a monthly basis a lot less than the pre-COVID. The question becomes, is this sustainable going forward? If the rate changes, what happens? Yeah, and we've, we've talked about that for years. But if the rate were to change, and we know this, is that We'll see signs of it. There will be incremental increases along the way, giving people enough warning to lock in if they have those variable mortgages to lock in on the longer terms and uh, to ward off any, you know, big financial calamities, right? Well, the assuring sign is the stress test. Frankly, the stress test was one only policy. Really, I feel very comfortable about it because it's a post-stated rate plus two. So if the posted rate is sitting at, let's say, 3%, they actually qualify people based on the 5% rate. 
So there is a enough comfort gap if the rates even go as high as almost three and a half to five percent. So these consumers are qualified based on their current income for such a rate. But right now they are taking the advantage of the benefit of the low rate. That's why they are jumping into the market. Yeah, exactly. So when we talk about real estate markets, and especially Vancouver, we usually compare it to Toronto. And in Toronto or the greater Toronto area, in the condo market, we had a 71% increase in sales. Geez, I have one on Bay Street. I just cannot sell right now. But anyway, I wish it was part of those stats. Um, and that the average price is, you know, just behind Vancouver. We're up to 688000 for an average price compared to Vancouver 740000 So, you know, condos are still really much in demand here in Toronto. Yeah. So another factor in the condo market, the sellers part of the uh, listing part of the condo market resale. Many uh, people who bought prior to COVID, perhaps I would say sometimes in 2012 to 2017, in that five era gap, suddenly the value of their condos has increased by 100%. Mm -hmm, yeah. uh, they, bought a condo, they bought a condo in 2012, 13 for 350 and uh, now is sitting at $700,000. So they are doing that also math and calculation. Do I wanna keep my condo? Rented is still at the high price. Yes, I have a good chunk of equity there, but if I do the math of the, my, the property taxes, maintenance and mortgage, and whatever surplus that I have versus the cash equity that is basically built in this condominium market, do I wanna keep it there? The margin is very small, maybe maximum $500 surplus, so $6,000 uh, sort of, a, let's call it uh, income per year, less taxes, and you have almost $400,000 equity built into it. So the question becomes for many condo investors that they are selling, the sellers are selling, shall I reinvest this money in another form of the real estate? Yeah, so and a lot of people do, factor. and a lot do. A lot of people do, and that's another factor you see the listing portion of the condo versus the freehold is quite higher. Uh huh. Which is our inventory, which is our inventory. Yep. Well, you know, we often hear that it's not affordable for most young people to buy in places like Toronto, in a lot of Ontario now, actually, in Vancouver. But another uh, city that we highlighted in this report was Ottawa. And the good news is that you know, you could probably get into the real estate market in Ottawa because the average price of a condo in Ottawa is $420,000. Yeah. Right? Although it is up 17% compared to last year. So, you know, if you can get a job in Ottawa, it's not a bad place to go. There was a report uh, by Inman was produced uh, about a few days ago at the Inman conference in Vegas. It was a very interesting report that basically talks about what percentage of the consumers wants to be in the large urban center? During the COVID, everybody got this idea and the notion people want it away from the urban center. It's in fact, is contrary. The biggest portion of our buyers are millennial, that they are average age right now is sitting at about 38 to 40 years old. The millennial are not at the cusp. They have created their family. They have children. So... They are very uh, career-oriented individuals. They have high-paying jobs because of their education, and they want to be in a large urban center. So 
they don't want to be in between, let's say, Toronto to Ottawa, which is a, an urban center is a center that has at least decent of the half a million population and up. Ottawa two years ago surpassed a million dollars. So it's actually Ottawa is large urban center is a cosmopolitan city now is under that category. Did you say the million dollar or the, or, or a million sorry, sorry. population? You're right, million, million population. population, yeah. So therefore, and when you have the job and employment's over there really good, so you rather go there. And as you emphasize and you noted, $750,000 condo in Toronto, half of that price you can buy it in Ottawa. And your income in Ottawa is not a lot less than Toronto. In fact, it is. In fact, Ottawa is sitting at the highest family income in Canada because of the federal jobs. Wow! So my son has a chance. That's where he's living right now. He's living in Ottawa. <laughs> young man, <laughs> he does. So you've saved your money for the down payment, and maybe even your parents helped you with a little gift to buy that first house. But before you get out there and start looking you should get pre-qualified for a mortgage unless your parents give you all the money and they probably won't. So I recommend that you go and see or call Jason Georgopoulos of Dominion Lending. Jason will get you the best rates and best terms out there. He has access to more than 30 lenders. To get in touch with Jason, you can email him at jasong at dominionlending.ca. Um, I think another really great opportunity here, and I had no idea about the average price in Calgary. And the thing is, is that in Calgary, the prices are up from 255000 average for a condo to 263 And the volume's up by 82%. So the economy's gotten a lot better in Calgary, obviously. And But look at that opportunity. Like they used to say, you know, go west, young man or young woman. You know, there's opportunity out there, and it really does look like there are, there are real estate opportunities in the province of Alberta. Well, Alberta, particularly Calgary, suffered for the last 10 years. When you talk to the practitioner in real estate in Calgary, which I am in touch with many of them, this is the first time after many years of the drop, they see a rebound of the market. Again, very similar uh, sort of a characteristic to perhaps Ottawa, London, Ontario. Calgary, unfortunately, the entire employment hub is emphasized around basically oil and energy sector. So Calgary, really what it needs to do, which I think they probably are realizing that, Calgary has a very similar characteristic to the Dallas in Texas. Dallas a few years ago, about almost 10 years ago, decided to have an equal income of the oil and energy in attracting the headquarter of the different companies, created tax incentive, created the sort of the land lease for the big headquarter. And suddenly the Dallas is sitting as a, one of the top cities in North America in terms of attracting the jobs, employment hub, and the cost of the living in Dallas versus let's say California. Many Californians, they moved to the Dallas because they saw they're selling a home in California for a million and a half and they're buying the same house, probably better condition for half a million. And their income is almost identical and their cost of living is a lot less. Wow. So Calgary to my, yeah, Calgary to my opinion, if really want to really take advantage of the price crisis in Canada, 
really that's what they need to do. They need to create opportunities outside of the gas and oil and energy yeah. sectors. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Steve, just taking a quick step back here, I talked about the affordability in Calgary. And uh, back to Toronto again, where you had mentioned that the millennials, they want to live in the big urban centers. Uh, they want to live around Toronto. Do you see the price of homes in those outlying areas of Toronto actually stabilizing now or maybe even going down as a result? Because we saw incredible price increases in almost every community around Ontario. Yeah. Before I answer that question, one notice again about the Calgary. People got to pay attention to the price of the oil. From a $50 pre-COVID is sitting at $82. So right yeah, now it's creating job in that sector too. To your question about the suburb of the GTA area, such as Durham, such as Simcoe, is the price is going to drop? I don't think so because the reality is this, the GTA, it was defined by Newmarket, Water, Oakville, and Oshawa. But frankly, the GTA map has been expanded. So as long as we, you can commute within a certain sort of a degree of the hours in a day, which Simcoe is not bad, Durham is not bad, so people are going to commute because People are realizing if I don't take advantage of the opportunity of the prices in those suburb area, this inventory issue is not something that's going to disappear in a short term. Federal government and provincial and cities, they need 20 years of the planning. Hopefully they can control this. Okay. Now, the biggest surprise, you know, we're getting back to condos again here, but the biggest surprise for me was the Halifax-Dartmouth area in Nova Scotia. Condo prices there, they're up 30%. So the average now for a condo in Halifax is 398000 just under 400000 I mean, more expensive than Calgary. Um, and the other huge thing there was that they're like I said, the prices went up by 30% and their sales volume was up by 36%. And I, I had no idea that that uh, Halifax Dartmouth had um, such a huge condo market? Well, that market is now the baby boomers of the big urban cities are moving there. Oh. So a market that basically a Toronto retired couple that basically they are moving back east. Or, or we had also very minor younger generation work at home that they have realized that they have a job opportunities that they can work at home and they're moving back east. So you see a migration of the actual people who are from the east, that they move for a job to Ontario, they move for a job to Vancouver, and now they are moving back to their home province. Uh, so that's what you see is happening there, and now suddenly you see the market is moving there. Of course, there is also the similar factor that of the affordability. So. It's all related to the, the baby boomer are realizing through the COVID, what is my priority of my life? Do I want to sit on a bungalow in Toronto and paying the taxes? And yes, it's worth a million and a half right now. But do I want to sell my bungalow and go buy a nice condo in uh, um, Nova Scotia for $300,000? And I got a good cushion of the retirement to live off. Yeah. And... Obviously, there there are the jobs down there to support it. 
Yes, there are jobs there to support it. Is it uh, an unlimited support going to be happening there or not? But the premier of the Nova Scotia, uh, I have to give him absolute credit. Uh, he's quite been thinking outside of the box. He's thinking about the similar idea that we just talked about, the Calgary. He wants to really attract more opportunities for newcomer immigrants, companies hub to actually move from a big and expensive center in Canada, which is only three centers, which is Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, maybe diversify goes to the East Coast. And uh, there are also discussion about the transportation and the shipping uh, because is uh, Halifax is by the water. Yeah. So these young people who you mentioned may have been living in places like Toronto, good incomes. They go back. Well, actually, let's go back. Let's, let's just take a step over here to Toronto again. So they're here in Toronto. They see the prices out of reach for them. They go back home, like you say, and they're like, wow, what a bargain. Like, what a bargain. We may as well stay. We're back home again. We love it. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you get it, I was talking to my daughter. I don't know if you and I we talk about this at your other podcast. Uh, I said to my daughter, I said, "What is wrong with Ottawa? Why you don't move to Ottawa? Great job opportunity with your uh, education background. Fifty mm-hmm. percent uh, lower cost of the living. Sixty six percent of your income is gone towards your household. Basically, is going to your housing. Basically, uh, mortgage, property tax, maintenance of the house." So if you suddenly can reduce that by almost uh, 30%, mm-hmm. uh, imagine how much cushion of the saving you're going to have and what sort of a better quality of the life you're going to have. Oh, definitely. And, you know, we, we have offices in Ottawa, so we're right on top of the real estate market and what's happening in Ottawa. But it does sound like just a really, really great opportunity. Here. It, it is. And if you look at Ottawa as an example, Every time we had crisis in Canada because of the federal, there are 450,000 jobs in Ottawa. Uh, Almost 350,000 of them are from the related to federal uh, ministries or related to them. And the rest is tech. And now Amazon opened two logistics center also over there. And every time they also Economic crisis happened in Canada historically. Ottawa, because of the federal government, because of the spending usually during the economic crisis, you see the Ottawa market real estate is only moved by 2 to 3% up or down. You never see a big volatility in Ottawa because majority people who are in Ottawa, they are end user. They are not investor. So they are not, they are not really reactionary. The market goes up and down. They offload uh, tons of listing over there. Ottawa is one of the very proactive cities also now in terms of the city planning. They basically have designated many uh, intensification in the areas that there are large lots of the old residential home, 50 or 60 or 80 foot frontage. And they're basically saying nobody needs any more 60 or 80 foot lot frontage. So how about we allow them to severance them? And they're actually doing intensification within the city rather than going outside. Ah, that's what's going on. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Just wanted to get into the CIBC study about uh, money being gifted to children. But just before we get into that, you're a young person. Where would you want to settle? 
today in Canada? You know, based well, on this, I mean, you know, condo <laughs> condos are there are some places where condos are affordable. Ottawa seems to be affordable for single family homes as well. But what, what do you think, Steve? Where would you go? Well, first of all, I'm not that young. I'm 55. <laughs> for just a complete You're disclosure. Than I am. <laughs> complete disclosure. But if I was in the position of the young people, yes, I understand that Toronto has the buzz. Ottawa, Vancouver has the buzz. Montreal has the buzz. They grew up with the, their peers here. They went to university with their peers here. But look at some of the cities such as London, Ontario, almost at the cost of 500,000 population. Mm-hmm. Ottawa, million. Uh, Kingston has some academic job related. Uh, I think the younger generation, they have to make a sacrifice where there is a good income opportunity for them and also allows them to enter to the market, build equity, and have a saving, and then they can plan it, come back to the Toronto market, or while they are away from the Toronto market, invest in the Toronto market, or at least buy within the boundary of the Toronto, Hamilton, Simcoe, Mississauga, um, uh, Oakville, uh, Durham, uh, Oshawa, Pickering, Ajax, uh, you name it. And, but they gotta realize, that they have to travel, they have to commute. Mm-hmm, yeah. and, but you know what? You have to really sacrifice. It's not easy like your old days that you have the choices. Oh, I like to be in this neighborhood. I'm not willing to travel. I'm sorry, you missed that boat and uh, you have to make your sacrifice. So the younger generation, they really got to enter to the market as fast as, as they can. Otherwise, maybe the, this window of the opportunities every year is going to get tighter and closer. And the baby boomers, this is the time to really, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't like to call it cash out. I would not say, okay, what's the priority of your life? Yeah, your property value is going to go up, 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 up every year. But what's the point of if you cannot enjoy it? So go to Halifax, go to Calgary. They have great health system. They have great support system. And... Obviously, you are at the era of maybe you are retired or semi-retired, and probably you can do even work at home, remote work, and that's the best uh, choice for you. Oh, there you go. So there's the advice from the young Steve Tabrizi. He's just starting out, <laughs> thinking about where he's going to end up for the rest of his life or just for the next few years while he invests in Toronto. I love it, Steve. Okay, now speaking of young people, let's get into the CIBC study. This is really fascinating. Parents are gifting an average of $82,000 to their children to purchase their first home. This is huge. Like this is a huge factor in and it's impacting the housing prices and the demand because across the board, across the country, the parents actually gifted $10 billion to their children. This is wild. I couldn't believe that when I saw that study today. Well, it's a new phenomenon. Let's let's go a little bit backward. So maybe in your era and my era, we were not uh, at the liberty of asking of our parents, "Can you lend me fifty or hundred or eighty thousand dollars?" Because <laughs> no, because the reality was two things: the value of the home wasn't really appreciating that fast, so the equity that our parents built in their home wasn't really justifiable, and we would feel guilty to go to our parents and say, oh, can I have your uh, retirement saving, uh, 20%, 30% of it, you give it to me. Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. So that's one phenomenon is changes. So people, they said, oh my God, it's great that parents are helping 82,000, 10 billion. But look at this. A parents three years ago, their bungalow in Toronto was $900,000. Now the bungalow is sitting at a million too. The parents actually, the one that they are baby boomer at the age of probably 60, 65, 70, they plan for a, let's call it, if they have no mortgage, they plan for a $900,000 million cash out. Now suddenly they got, in less than a three years, they got 30% increase, which they had it almost in 15 years prior to that. So it's natural they are realizing, what's the best decision? Uh, shall I give it to my children so they will take the benefit and advantage of the home ownership now or after I'm gone? Secondly also, is becoming the phenomenon on the children's side. There's no more shame or going asking the parents because their peers are asking Not this. They're actually talking about it at, among the peers. They basically said, yeah, I borrowed from my dad. I borrowed from my mom or my parents. And now suddenly your kids comes home and just say, hey, Steve, hey, Desmond, daddy, i like to buy this. Can I borrow some money from you? And because of the phenomenon of the real estate has been a solid investment, the parents actually want them to get to the housing market. Canadian are among the top number one nation in terms of the home ownership. 73% of the Canadian, they own their homes. We love to own our homes here in Canada. Yeah. We sure do. Yeah. Yeah. The, another amazing number that came out of this study was that, okay, as I mentioned, it's an average of $82,000 given to children for the, to purchase their first home. However, in Vancouver, it was three hundred and forty thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's Vancouver for you. Now, is this a lot of offshore money? Do you think? Uh, offshore money, uh, the different uh, cultural diversity group background, uh, uh, a combination of everything. Uh, so, uh, so unfortunately, some of the stats that is collected by CIBC or other reporting agencies. Uh, are not as accurate that as we can rely on. And these are what we call them in the industry, we call them sample tests. Uh, but uh, Vancouver always uh, had a different uh, phenomenon of the real estate versus the Toronto. But think about it, if 100,000, let's call it 100,000, if 10% of the purchase price can be helped by parents and the kids they have, the biggest challenge for children is saving that 20%. It's not about having that 20%. It takes them years to save it if the parents, they don't help them. Now, there is another really a mutual understanding between the parents and children. I become your partner in the home ownership. Ah, uh, yes, exactly. I become your partner in the home ownership. It's fair. You live there. You pay all the mortgage and everything. I help you with this. Many parents are also no co-signing for the children mortgage. And uh, so it, it, the market is changing. The shift in the market, the cultural mindset, the attitude of the younger generation, they want to be homeowner. And now we notice also the younger generation, the one that they are not even married, they are maybe common-in-law or maybe girlfriend and boyfriend. Uh, they are just going out with each other. They're buying together. Or we are noticing that younger um, people, they're partnering with each other. Mm -hmm, so yeah. everybody is trying to get into the market at whatever way that they can. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not just the first-time buyers, too, that they talked about in this study. Was that they said that uh, people moving up to their second home were getting an average of 128000 from mom and dad. So, yeah. you know what this tells me? What is it? Parents love their children. Don't they love of their course. children? Of course. <laughs> so be good to your parents my or you're father, not going to get any of this money, you young yeah. people out there listening. No. My, my, father, my father is 85 years old, God bless him. And about almost 35 years ago, he decided to basically tell, give all the three children the, whatever is supposed to be that's called they share. And I asked him that question 35 years ago. I said, what are you doing this? He said, what's the point? If I don't give it to you right now, guys, I have to give it to you at one point. So I'd rather give it to you right now and you enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, that, and that, what, what, what a way to look at it. That's a wonderful way that your father approached that, it. That's, that, I, think, I, think, I think every parent's probably majority of the parents are looking at yeah. it that well, way. Well, it's so nice to see because, like you said, the biggest thing that we hear is that they're, you know, young kids or, or young, young people are not going to be able to afford to get into any of these real estate markets. And this boom that we've been having or this surge in prices that we've been having over the last number of years is benefiting everyone. So the parents, like you said, are getting more equity in their homes and they're sharing it. And they're, they're still alive to be able to enjoy their, you know, watching their children have their first homes. It's actually, it's a lot easier decision for parents. Because three years ago, they said, I got a million dollars and that's my retirement. Now, suddenly they said, oh, I got a $300,000 more. I'm not giving the entire 300 to my children. I'm sharing the extra profit and equity mm-hmm. that I never expect to my children. So it really doesn't impact their retirement much. No, not at all. Yes, of course, having a million three versus, let's say, a million as an example, it's different. But it really doesn't make a huge impact on the retirement of them, their lifestyle. No, they're not uh, going to change the lifestyle. And that's why much. gladly they are, they are sharing it. Yeah, that's anyway, that's the good news today, I think, out of all of this. And like I said, be good to your parents. Because <laughs> your parents will be good to you. That's a good advice. <laughs> They'll be good to you. Okay, Steve, on that note, I think we're going to uh, wrap it up. And again, I just want to thank you so much for joining Sold in the Six again. You are definitely our company's economist. You know, you are the, you are, you're, you're, you are the chief financial or, or they're the chief operating officer, but there aren't many people in this business that know as much about the economy of real estate as you do. And I just love having you on the show. So thank you very much, Steve. Uh, Desmond, thank you very much. I'm flattered. Uh, uh, I'm blessed uh, to have people like you in my life and in our company. And it will be my pleasure anytime to be with you. Yeah. Well, you know, like Steve, Steve, um, Kassar, my producer, every time something comes up around the economic or around the economy or or the economics of real estate, he's like, got to get Steve Tabrizi back on, got to get Steve Tabrizi back on. So we got you back on. Thanks again. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. And that's our latest episode of Sold in the Sixth. And I'd like to thank my producers, Podcasts That Pop. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Sold in the Six and you'll start receiving new episodes automatically. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is Des in the Six. That's six spelt with the number six, I-X, you know, the cool way. And I also have a website. Check that out. It's in the six If you have a story idea or just want to get in touch with me, feel free to email me 
at des at desmondbrown.ca. I'm Desmond Brown. Until next time. <laughs>